Welcome to First Reading, the Old Testament lectionary podcast. I'm Tim McNinch, a PhD candidate at Emory University. And I'm Rosie Canipal, also a PhD candidate at the Hebrew Bible at Emory University. Dr. Rachel Wren from Trinity Lutheran Seminary has the week off. And Tim, it's your turn this week, so what are we up to? Well, the first reading for March 6th is Deuteronomy 26, 1 to 11. And as it turns out, we have a great episode in our archive on that text with Dr. Rachel Wren from way back when she was PhD candidate Rachel Wren. So all you Rachel fans out there will want to check out that episode at firstreadingpodcast.com. And anyway, instead of giving you all another take on that passage, I thought I'd take a look at the psalm for the week, which is Psalm 91, verses 1 to 2 and 9 to 16. Okay, sounds good. Uh, so what stands out about this psalm? Where do you think preachers could take it? Uh, one interesting feature of the psalm is its connection to the New Testament reading for the week, which is Luke 4, um, those verses about Jesus's encounter with the temptations of the devil. Now, often there is a sort of resonance between the Old Testament and New Testament readings in the lectionary. I mean, that's how the compilers organized it. But in this case, it's a direct quotation of the psalm in the New Testament reading. And further, the psalm is quoted not by Jesus, but to Jesus by the devil, in order to tempt Jesus. Ooh, a twist. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. So if nothing else, we see from the New Testament that there's potential in this psalm to lead someone astray. There's a danger here, a temptation that's embedded in the text if it's not handled with care. Ah, so like a preaching pitfall. <laughs> right, exactly. Or even just a, a reading, interpreting pitfall. Okay, I'm really interested now. Can you lay it all out for us? Sure. So the theme of this psalm, this poem, is trust in God. And the first couple verses are just packed with metaphors for God as a protector. Seter, uh, which is shelter or hiding place. Tzel is shade. Marseille, refuge. Suda, fortress. All of those images driving to that almost creed-like statement, I will trust in my God, Elohai Evtachbo. The lectionary then skips from there to verse 9 in order to save time, but come on, it's not that long. And verses 3 to 8 are a beautiful elaboration of that trust. And any of you out there who might be Anglican or Episcopal will recognize these verses from the Compline prayers, those bedtime prayers of reassurance that God will care for you through the night while you sleep in peace. And then verse 9 picks up with this amazing statement. Because you have made the Lord your refuge, the Most High your dwelling place, no evil shall befall you, no scourge come near your tent. And then the line that's quoted to Jesus by the devil in verse 11, For he will command his angels concerning you to guard you in all your ways. On their hands they will bear you up so that you will not dash your foot against a stone. So those who trust in God will not have anything bad happen to them, huh? <laughs> I know, not only that, they'll be carted around by angels so that they don't even stub their toe. I like that picture. That sounds like it could be poetic hyperbole, though. How do you read it? <laughs> I, I think you're exactly right. I mean, the, the next line says, the young lion and the serpent you will trample underfoot. And it's not like God's people always go around walking on a carpet of lions and snakes. This is suggestive imagery. It's meant to paint a picture with hyperbolic images 
of, of confidence and security, of well-being and safety from ultimate danger. So I take it that the pitfall here would be to read or preach this as if it were literal rather than poetic. Is, is that where you're headed? Yes. It's tempting to latch on to verse 9 and to preach, if you trust in God, no evil shall befall you. Nothing bad will happen to you. No scourge or disease will come near your dwelling. It's, it's a tempting message to preach during a pandemic. Uh, but of course, it's platitudinous theology. Platitudinous what? <laughs> it's nothing more than platitudes. And, and you don't want your sermons to be surfacey platitudes that don't actually resonate with your congregants' real-life experiences. Life is hard. There is evil. There is suffering. And we all bear it to one degree or, or another. And suffering is indiscriminate. One's level of faith doesn't necessarily determine the level of suffering that they endure in this life. So if this psalm is lifted up as a, as a kind of pain avoidance methodology, you and your congregation are going to be disappointed. Right. Isn't that how the devil frames it to Jesus, though, in Luke 4? God's not going to let anything bad happen to you, so hurl yourself off the temple roof and let the angels catch you. <laughs> yes, and Jesus responds by quoting back another scripture, don't put the Lord your God to the test. Jesus is saying that, that in his interpretation, the pitfall of reading this psalm, skimming platitudes off the surface, is not what actual trust in the Lord looks like. It's not even what trust looks like in the psalm itself. Okay, so there has got to be a more helpful way to make use of this psalm, right? A positive preaching angle, perhaps. I think so. Uh, there is depth to this poem. And I have to say, this is one of those great opportunities to get out of the homiletical rut of preaching the New Testament text as the main text and just using the Old Testament as sort of background or support. This psalm needs a deeper reading. And a good sermon could do that, drawing in the New Testament reading as like an illustration or outworking of the psalm, with the psalm being the central sermon text, kind of like we've done in this conversation. Anyway, a closer reading of the psalm shows that the language about no evil shall befall you and angels will bear you up, that language is hyperbolic, it's metaphorical. The psalm acknowledges that terrible and terrifying things do happen to God's people. Enemies who try to trap you and pandemic diseases in verse 3. Night terrors and violence during the day, verses 4 to 5. Verse 15 says, When they call to me, I will answer them. I will be with them in trouble. I will rescue and honor them. The promise here is of divine presence in the experience of trouble and danger. And that word rescue there, chalatz, it has kind of a double meaning. Its basic root meaning is to strip off, so it can be used in the sense of pulling someone out of, of trouble. But it's also the word for equipping someone from the image of stripping down for battle and suiting up with armor. In other words, rescue has many forms. Sometimes it's relief from trouble, like healing or recovery from a threatening disease. And other times, rescue comes in the form of being equipped to endure hardship by the abiding presence of God who's with you in the middle of it. Trust in that context is about letting go of ultimate fear, being confident that even though awful things may come our way, God will be with us in it and will not abandon us. 
And you know, if we need a picture of that, Jesus himself is exhibit A, right? He didn't hurl himself off the temple in a presumptuous, platitudinous whim. He knew that God was calling him to suffer, and he endured it, even to a violent, evil death, trusting that God would ultimately care for him and manifest salvation in some form. And Jesus was indeed resurrected, so the gospel tells us, but not without experiencing unspeakable evil holding on to God in trust. So in the end, I think the psalm is not about good or bad things happening to us or not happening to us. It's about the choice between terror and trust. And it piles on poetic images to encourage us to trust because God is trustworthy, even in distressing experiences. Yeah, that is actually a much more nuanced than helpful reading. Thanks, Tim, for helping us think through that text. Sure thing. Friends, that brings us to the end of another episode. If you found this resource helpful, please consider hitting the donate button at firstreadingpodcast.com to help sustain the podcast with a one-time or recurring donation. If you're not in a position to contribute now, that is perfectly okay. You can also help by sharing the podcast with your friends, colleagues, strangers on the street. but especially with the preachers in your life. Past episodes on almost every text in the Old Testament lectionary are available on our website, along with first reading swag. We also post new episodes each week on our Facebook page, and we're grateful to Trinity Lutheran Seminary at Capital University for a grant that helps us along. And as always, thanks to you all for listening and interacting with us. Until next time, I'm Rosie Canethel. And I'm Tim McNinch. Have a great week.